Last week I talked about um, overcoming disappointment in our journey with God. And um, I don't know about you guys, but I think that's been a very relevant topic for me personally. And I shared a lot of how that relates to um, my walk personally with the Lord in this past season of ministry. And, you know, I'm hoping for better things in the coming months. Um, But there's this reality of walking with God that if nobody told you this when you when you said yes to Jesus and when you started following him, it really doesn't take that much time before you discover this and perhaps by surprise, and maybe that brings with it some confusion, but it's not always going to be easy. And sometimes we hype up the message in a way and we present it in a way that we're just, we're trying to, you know, kind of give the, um, the best side or angle, if you will, of this message of what it means to follow Jesus because we want people to say yes to it and we leave that part out. And maybe that's kind of how it was presented to you and you said yes to Jesus and you were super pumped and you started learning the worship songs and you started reading your Bible and then you actually started walking it out and you realized, man, this is a little bit tougher than I thought. And, you know, the gospel itself The message that we find in this book is filled with, as part of this amazing good news, it's filled with this message that says, guess what? It will not be easy. And if you walk with God, if you truly walk out and seek to live out your faith, you will experience disappointment. You will experience discouragement. You will experience moments of confusion and doubt and even perhaps despair. That's all in your Bible. In fact, much of the letters of the New Testament were written to people who were just barely hanging on because they were in the middle of a situation in a world that hated them. They were in the middle of a world that was seeking to get rid of them. They were in the middle of a world that they didn't belong in. And, um, you know, we don't necessarily find ourselves in that time and place, but many of our fellow brothers and sisters in our world do. And yet for us, there's still the reality of disappointment. When you have expectation for something, when you begin to believe God for the impossible, guess what? I promise you, disappointment is soon to follow. Can I say that? Is that okay? Some of you feel like that's not very encouraging. (laughs) You know, sometimes we just need some reality. There is encouragement here, I promise you. In fact, part of the encouragement is that it's normal to face disappointment when you really begin to walk this out. You're not special in that regard. You're not being picked on. It's normal. I want to read this passage tonight in John 6, and I believe it's a really good um, picture of how we are to respond to disappointment 
And I think it really gives us this amazing balanced perspective on what to do in the middle of disappointment, in the middle of things not going the way we expected them to go, in the middle of things seemingly going the wrong direction in our journey with God. Um, so in this portion of the story that we jump into, we're right in the middle of Jesus' ministry, and he's been begun doing some amazing things. He's begun doing some amazing miracles. He's begun teaching people some amazing words. The response of the people was one of amazement. They said, we've never heard anything like this. We've never heard someone speak with this kind of authority, and yet with this kind of compassion. That was what Jesus carried. He carried authority from heaven, and he carried the compassion of heaven. And people were amazed by it. And so, as you can imagine, Jesus, he began drawing a crowd. He began drawing a following. And in John 6, at the beginning of John 6, there was a crowd of people. A crowd of people numbering about 5,000. They had a unique dilemma, a dilemma that is unknown to us. We do something here every week called family dinner. But yet, to this point, we have not had to feed 5,000. Praise God. Can you imagine? Right now, my fellowship team is getting anxious at the thought. They do an awesome job. They work very hard every Sunday to give us a delicious meal. But we're still waiting, still yet to get to a place, even near the place of having to feed the amount of people that were there this day as Jesus shared the word with them. So you have 5,000 people, and they come for this message, and, you know, there was something really smart here. The people came, and they came for the message. As far as we know, they didn't already have family dinner planned this evening. They were just going to hear the word, and people were following him, and they hear the word, and, and you know, Jesus, I don't, we don't know how long he preached, but it must have been a while, because eventually the people got hungry, and they got to this place where the disciples started to wonder, okay, when are we going to wrap this up, Jesus? And we need to send the people on their way so they could get home at a reasonable hour so they could have dinner. And you probably know the story. Jesus says, no, no, you know, let's not send the people off hungry. Let's feed them. And obviously they were confused by that with what? And this amazing miracle happens. And take a guess at the people's response, okay? So Jesus feeds them with the spiritual nourishment and then he goes another step, and he feeds them physical nourishment. Can you imagine what happened in response? Do you think that the, the crowd of people that decided, you know, Jesus is all right. You think it grew, or you think it shrank? Well, we've been pulling on this um, strategy for a while, and to my knowledge, family dinner has not ever made our numbers shrink. It's, in fact, we don't have 
statistics for this, but I think if, if we look back, then in fact it's made the numbers grow. We might have to get somebody on it to do some analysis of that. But at the end of this, yeah, Vincent, okay. <laughs> You've been nominated, Vincent. It came over here. I, I don't know who said it. Someone on the second row nominated Vincent to analyze the data, okay? Um, they didn't have data, but this is what it says in verse 14. It says, after the people saw the sign Jesus performed, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. They began to put their faith in him. They began to say, there's something special here. We want to follow him. Um, Jesus, as you can imagine, the crowds grew. And at the, um, as this passage continues, it says um, that they began looking for him. And in this next passage, Jesus, he, he performs another miracle. He takes them all the way across the water to the other side, away from the crowds. And it says that once the crowd realized that Jesus, neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into their boats and they went to Capernaum in search of him. Okay, so you see the picture, the crowds, they want to be around him. They're following him. There's momentum that is growing moment by moment, word by word, miracle by miracle. And if you were the, the disciples with Jesus... Can you imagine just as the crowds grow, your enthusiasm, your excitement begin to grow as well? I mean, you're on the inside of this thing. When, when the crowds get left in the dust, <laughs> you're in the boat with Jesus going to the other side. That's got to feel pretty special. You're part of a movement that had to feel pretty exciting. These were the guys who were there from the beginning. They were like, yeah, we, we were here before any of this, but now we're getting to see it. Well, something interesting happens. Jesus gives his worst sermon yet. You know what I'm talking about? I say that, okay, and it's sort of a joke, but if we had been there, would we have thought this thought? Jesus, what are you saying? He gives this message in John 6 about being the bread of life. That sounds wonderful. Very inspirational. But then he goes on to say, Very truly, I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh, sorry if you want to follow along, it's in 53. 54 says, Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. Not such flowery language anymore. He says, for my flesh is real food and my blood is real drink. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. Just as the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So the one who feeds on me will live because of me. People aren't getting excited anymore. They're getting nervous. They're starting to squirm. I know the feeling. 
I've seen it a few times. <laughs> but I don't know if I've seen it like this. He says, this is the bread that came down from heaven. Your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. The crowd has grown. People are doing whatever they can to get to Jesus. They've seen miracles. The disciples are riding the wave. And then this. Then these words. The response of the people. It says on hearing this, many of his disciples said, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? Many of his disciples, not just people who were standing around, not just people who had had a meal a day earlier, but people who perhaps would have considered themselves and who in this passage are labeled as disciples, these people, they said, this is a hard word. Who can accept it? In that moment, I wonder what the 12 were thinking. I wonder if they were thinking, okay, Jesus, just, you know, just take the foot off the gas a little bit. Just slow it down. Maybe just, maybe you didn't mean what you just said. Uh, Maybe you could just clarify for a minute. Because clearly, people are upset. People are starting to leave. We know that you don't want to send people away. You want to draw them to yourself. Well, Jesus, he doesn't apologize, does he? In fact, he asks them, he says, does this offend you? Does this offend you? That's a really good question. Have you ever been in a place in your walk with God where you've been offended, not by somebody else, but by the words of Jesus? You went to him looking for encouragement, and you got offended instead. Anybody? Well, I want you to think about it. When we reach disappointment, offense can soon follow. If we let disappointment bury itself in our hearts, offense is near. And Jesus, you know, he's not He's not afraid of that. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to saying what matters and calling us into deeper things, he's not afraid of offending us. 
Does he want us to be offended? No. But guess what? He's not afraid of it. In fact, I believe he realizes the very real possibility that the places that he wants to take us, that in us going there with them, offense is possible. Offense is possible. And if you're being real with Jesus in your journey with him, you've probably realized offense at one time or another. And if you haven't, perhaps you need to get real with him. Perhaps you need to just let your heart be bare before him and say, God, have I been upset at you about something and has it led to me be, to being offended by you? He's not afraid of that. He goes on to say, Does this offend you? Then what if you see the Son of Man ascend to where he was before? He says, The Spirit gives life, but the flesh counts for nothing. The words I have spoken to you, they are full of the Spirit and life. Yet there are some who do not believe. He goes on to say in verse 66, From this time many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Many turned back. And that moment, it probably really felt to the disciples like the momentum had been lost. What are you doing, Jesus? What are you doing? Have you ever thought that? Jesus, what are you doing right now? This does not look like a very good plan. Jesus, if I were in charge, you can stop right there. You can stop right there. But I thought that. If I were in charge, Jesus, it would not happen like this. And he's saying, thank God you're not. The crux of this passage for me is right after this. And I think there's a word of encouragement for us. A word meant to strengthen us. Perhaps in the middle of disappointment. Of discouragement. And perhaps feeling like the momentum in either your walk with God. Or in the things of God that you've been a part of. Maybe the momentum that you wish was happening, when you feel like that is lost or it's not going the direction or the way that you planned. In the middle of that for the disciples, Jesus asked this question. He says, do you want to leave too? He says, you don't want to leave too, do you? And, and if you... If we stop the passage right here, perhaps some of us are thinking, wow, Jesus sounds a little bit desperate. <laughs> like if these guys leave, he's not going to have anybody. So much for that movement. I 
I don't think Jesus was desperate here. I think actually he was speaking in love. And I think as he saw those people walk away, his heart broke. Because he wanted them to stay. But he wanted them to hear the truth even more. And so to his disciples, he asked them this question, Do you want to leave? You know, I think that question is a really genuine question. I think when Jesus asked the disciples, he was asking them in sincerity. And he was looking for an honest answer. Do you want to turn back? Are you ready to give up as well? Are you so offended by what I've said and by not being able to understand it that you're going to follow everyone else? And then the words of Simon Peter. Simon Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have come, we have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. To whom shall we go? Simon does hear what Jesus often did to them. He answers a question with a question. Very smart, Simon. You're learning. (laughs) Jesus says, are you going to leave? And he says, where are we going to go, Jesus? If you know of something better, tell us. He didn't say that last part. That's me. But in his question, there's a declaration. There's a realization. We don't have anything else. You are it. We left that little fishing business to follow you. We left our dreams to follow you. You are it. And in following you, we found something. In following you, we have found our purpose. In following you, we have come alive. If that's not what you've found in Jesus, I wonder if you've really found it. Sometimes we lose sight of that, and I feel like he's calling us back to the place of discovering what we have in him. And it's my prayer for you that you would see Jesus and in seeing him you would see what you truly have. And to that in the middle of disappointment, in the middle of discouragement, in the middle of doubt, in the middle of offense even, you would say, Jesus, I've got nowhere else to go where there's anything of worth. See, I think that's what it means to follow him. It doesn't mean we don't wrestle, but it means in the wrestling, we weigh all the options and we see all the different paths 
and opportunities. And we say, Jesus, I may not understand it all, but I'm going with you. Because that's where life is. That's where purpose is. I don't know about you, but I need to be refreshed in that thought. As we were singing in worship tonight, as we were singing that song about his faithfulness, I just felt like God was saying, I am going to bring about newness of life. I'm going to bring about a new revelation, understanding of who I am. I want you to see what is right in your midst and what you haven't seen yet. Hold on. Remain in me. Sometimes we're in the waiting. Sometimes we don't know. And the best thing we can do is say, Jesus, got nowhere else to go. So I'm just going to stay here. I'm not going to overthink it. I'm not going to try to analyze it. I'm just going to stay here. Here, I'm going to wait for you to do something. See, I think that's what Peter was saying. I don't think he was saying, yeah, we understood what you were talking about just a minute ago. And while everybody else thought it was crazy, we knew that it was awesome. They were probably like, what the heck did you just say, Jesus? Are you calling us to cannibalism? See, that's why they were freaking out. Do you realize that? We read it and we're like, oh, communion. Yes. Yes, it's important. Thank you, Jesus. I don't know why they didn't get it. Unless you eat my body and drink my blood. I don't think they understood it, but they said, Jesus, we decided to go with you, and now it's no different. And then there's the response of Jesus here. And I think that we, we often need these words. We need to be reminded of these words, especially when we're in those moments of waiting, moments of trying to figure it out but confused, and we're just holding on. The words of Jesus. He said, I have chosen you. He says, I have chosen you, Peter. You think you chose me, but guess what? I first chose you. And I'm holding on to you. You do have a choice. But I want you to know something. I chose you. That's the truth of this. That's the amazing truth of this that we need to be reminded of, especially in the waiting, especially as we are waiting for things unseen, especially as we are lingering in disappointment of things that we heard God promise that haven't happened yet. We need to hear the voice of Jesus saying, I have chosen you. I am with you. 
I have not forgotten you. I have not forgotten my promises to you, my plans for you, the greatness that I have called you to, the purpose that is yet to come. That's where our hope is. That is where our hope is. I want to read a passage tonight as a prayer. So um, let's just do what we do often when we pray and just close our eyes for this. I'm going to read Ephesians 1. And I really believe this is an amazing and beautiful expansion on the words of Jesus when he says, I have chosen you. And so just just open your heart up to this and let God speak these words to you. And I'm going to read this from the message because there's such an excitement that I think is really found in this passage. How blessed is God. And what a blessing He is. He's the Father of our Master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in Him. Long before He laid down earth's foundation, He had us in mind. Had settled on us as the focus of His love to be made whole and holy by His love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter the celebration of his lavish gift-giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We're a free people. We're a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds, and not just barely free either, abundantly free. He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him. Everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet earth. It's in Christ that we found out who we are and what we're living for. Long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up, he had his eye on us, his designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation found yourselves home free, signed, 
sealed and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This signet from God is the first installment of what's coming, a reminder that will get everything God has planned for us a praising and glorious life. Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you're with us. I thank you that you are in reckless pursuit of us. I thank you that you have chosen us. You've called us by name. You've brought us into your family. Where are we going to go where we would find a love like that? Where are we going to go where we would find purpose? Where are we going to go where we would find life and fulfillment and freedom? It's all in you. Jesus, I thank you that the best is yet to come. I thank you that in the middle of of this waiting in the middle of discouragement that breakthrough is on the way. I thank you that because you are with us that we can be confident in this moment and in the moments to come. Jesus, I pray that hope would rise in this place as we embrace the truth of what you're going to do, what you've done. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, that you're bigger than our disappointment and you are overcoming it. You're bigger than our doubt. You're bigger than our offense and you're overcoming it. God, I pray we would see you so clearly in the coming days that your love would win out in our hearts so that we would believe you again. We would believe you again. Thank you, Jesus. You are making all things new. In your precious name, amen. We're going to take communion tonight.